following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. When you meet someone new, there's usually a few questions that you ask. And there are basic questions that we all tend to ask people to just start a conversation. We, we usually start with a name. Right, because you want to know who you're talking to, you want to know their name, and then you forget it two seconds after the first conversation with them, and then you have to go to your wife and say, "Hey, do you do you remember?" Because I forgot. Not that I've ever done that, because I don't. Well, maybe I do. Okay, let's move on. You ask the name because you you want to talk to people, right? Um, a lot of times we ask an, an occupation, like, "Oh, what do you what do you do?" Because that gives us some some foundation to make some connection with them and, and maybe get to know a little bit about how they think and um, see if there's, there's connections that we have. And then we often ask, well, where are you from? Because right? there again, you get to know some of the origin of the person. Oh, maybe I know some people there. Maybe I'm from close to there. Maybe I've heard of it. Maybe I have no idea. And that gives me a place to ask some questions. But those are three really basic questions that most of us would ask. And there's other questions you might throw in depending on who you are and your personality. But a lot of times we ask a name, uh, an, an occupation, and, and a, a place of origin. Now, to really get to know somebody after those initial questions, we, we have to go deeper, right? We have to go deeper to truly know somebody. You can't know all of who that person is about by those questions. But those key bits of information give us a launching point into that other person's life and gives them a launching point into our lives. This is all information that Matthew gives us at the start of his gospel story of the life of Jesus. In these first 17 verses of of Matthew 1, Matthew's gonna tell us who Jesus is. He's gonna tell us about Jesus' work, his role. And he's gonna tell us where Jesus comes from. But the question we have to ask ourselves as we start looking at this is, okay, so how then does Jesus' family history as laid out in this this genealogy that we're going to look at, how does his family history shape our vision of his ministry, of his person, of his work, of his origin? How does this shape our vision of who he is based off what is about to be revealed? So we're going to see this. Matthew 1, verse 1 through 17. Before we dive into that, though, we want to take a quick second and talk about this book as a whole. What is it that we're we're getting into? What are we diving into? The book of Matthew, the the first book of the New Testament, um, is one of four accounts of Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Each one of these Gospel accounts has its own purpose and its own perspective in being written. None of the gospel accounts, and this is really important, and I think we miss this sometimes, none of the gospel accounts are meant to be biographies of Jesus, right? They're not, to, not meant to be, well, here's to know some, just a story about Jesus. Let's walk through his life from birth all the way to death and just in a, in a very sequential manner, we're gonna go through this whole thing. None of the gospels are meant to be that. They each come with their different perspective and their different purpose, And what this means is that within the gospel accounts, we get different stories sometimes. We get different different views of even the same story. But there are no contradictions between the gospel accounts. 
There's simply different perspectives on that one event. It's, it's like this. If I'm going to move to the side because Aaron's sitting right there. If a person sitting right here had a medical emergency during the service, okay, and I look down, I'm going to see that person have a medical emergency. Scott, who's watching out for us in the back of the sanctuary, is going to see that person having a medical emergency. Just as some of you over on that side of the sanctuary are going to see this person have a medical emergency. Are we going to see the exact same things? as I see their face, as Scott sees the back of their head, as you guys see the commotion happening over here. No, we're not gonna see exactly the same thing, even though we see the exact same event. And later when we go to tell people, right? When I sit in the the elder meeting tomorrow night and and talk to our elders about what happened, I'm gonna tell that differently than Scott's gonna tell the people who come in the ambulance to take this person to get help. Just like you guys are gonna have a different conversation when you tell your friends and your family members later today about what happened. Now, did the same event happen? Yes, absolutely. But we have different perspectives and we have different purposes in what we are saying. So the book of Matthew gives us one perspective and one purpose in his writing. This gospel was written by Matthew, who before Jesus called him was known as Levi. He was a tax collector written probably somewhere around 62 AD. Now, when we talk about who the author is and what the date is, you can go Google this this afternoon and find like 50 different theories of people who want to come up with something different. There is no good reason to believe anything other than what the history of the church has always taught us, that Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, wrote this somewhere around 62 AD. And what was his purpose? Matthew was writing to his Jewish friends and families. He was writing to a Jewish audience. And he was, he was trying to share with these Jewish, uh, with, with his Jewish brothers and sisters, the good news of Jesus as God's promised Messiah. And he's trying to compel that audience, not only to see that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about throughout the entire Old Testament, but then that they would live out the kingdom of heaven in their lives here by following Jesus. And this is really important for us to understand as we go, why does Matthew start where he does? He starts with the lineage of Jesus This genealogy of Jesus, which draws a direct line from Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And along the way, he shows that Jesus fulfills so many steps in the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. So if he's talking to this Jewish people that knows the Old Testament really well and is looking for a Messiah, he goes, let me show you exactly where Jesus comes from. And in doing this, Matthew gives three distinct descriptions for you and me to see today as we think about Jesus' mission and purpose looking through his family line. And the first description that Matthew's gonna give us of Jesus is that he's gonna show us Jesus is God's provision. Jesus is God's provision. And we see this in verse one through the first half of verse six, where it says this, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, 
Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Jesus is God's provision. Matthew opens this genealogy with this one description of Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. This is where he starts. And this is important because to a Jewish audience, one who knew the Old Testament, forwards, backwards, and inside out, this was a very clear declaration of Jesus as God's Messiah, the chosen one, the one who would redeem Israel, the one who would save them, who would lift them out of oppression and slavery. Now we know this because Jesus Christ, Christ is a word that, the the Greek word that follows from the Hebrew word Messiah. So he uses that word there. But not only is he the Messiah, he's also the son of David, son of Abraham. Again, very important distinctions for the Jewish audience that Jesus is exactly who Matthew is gonna say he is. And to reveal this messianic identity even further, he gives the people these three sets of genealogies. If you look at verses, uh, we we go two through six, um, the second half of six through 11, and then 12 through 16. Are three sections of 14 generations, these summaries of Jesus' family tree. And this first one that we just read shows us Israel's history. Right? If you walk through all the names in verses two through the first half of six, you get a history of the birth of the people of Israel. Right? Because you you start with Abraham. Remember Father Abraham? He had many sons. Many sons had this Father Abraham, right? He was the one that God called and said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. This is where it starts. And then he walks through the history of Israel. And our focus when we read a genealogy like this isn't on the exact names in the genealogy. That's important for us to understand where he's going, but the important thing is the structure that is given here. Because if you think about the nation of Israel, the time from Abraham to King David, what happens in the nation of Israel? From Abraham to to David, Israel is formed. Israel is blessed. They begin to multiply. Israel is enslaved in Egypt. Israel is freed by God's miraculous hand. Israel is entrusted with a promised land. And Israel is embattled because they refuse to follow God the way he has called them to follow him. So formed, blessed, enslaved, freed, entrusted, and embattled. At the end of that time, the people call for a king and Saul becomes the first king of Israel. But it's not until David that the nation finds a strong, godly, and faithful leader who brings prosperity to the nation. See, while God had provided everything Israel needed, right? He formed them. He brought them out of slavery. He gave them a good land. He redeems them over and over again. He even gives them a good, faithful, godly leader. God gives them everything they need. He provides for them, but it's not until Jesus, the Messiah, that God's provision is fulfilled, not just for Israel, but for the entire world. 
because Jesus is God's provision. As we unfurl the story of Jesus over the course of of Matthew's gospel, we'll see that Jesus is the provision of God's love, grace, and mercy, which we and the whole world need as a result of our inability to uphold the law of righteousness. Because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion, because of our idolatry, because of our failure. Galatians chapter five, verse four, Paul writes, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. What's he saying there? Just what we heard Moses say earlier. Paul says, you want to try to do this life on your own? You want to try to be good enough, be smart enough, be strong enough? earn enough honor, respect, money, whatever it is that you're trying to earn, go for it. And by trying to be good enough, you will separate yourself from Christ because you are incapable. You and I are incapable of fulfilling the law of righteousness. And when we try, we simply separate ourselves from grace. Which brings us to that great question of do we need a perfect life to be saved? Do you need a perfect life to be saved? Yes, you do. The blessing that we have in Christ is that life doesn't have to be ours. Now, Jesus doesn't do away with the law. He doesn't say, you can't keep the law of righteousness, so forget about that. Trust me. No, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He says, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. So instead of doing away with the law, Jesus fulfills it perfectly. It's in his perfect life that he offers us the necessary provision for our redemption from sin and death. Listen, God has given you and me everything we need Do we believe that? I know we're in church. We all go, yeah, I believe that 100%. Yeah, but tomorrow and and Tuesday and Wednesday, will we really believe that? That God has really given us everything we need? God never promises to give us everything we want, but he has given us everything we need. We may not have business success or perfect families, but we are loved, redeemed, and called to purpose and meaning by our trust and obedience to Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have everything we need. If Jesus is God's provision, then the question is, is whatever God has given you and me in Jesus Christ right now, is that enough? Is that enough? Jesus is God's provision. Matthew moves on. And in the next set of 14 generations, he reveals that Jesus is God's guidance. Jesus is God's guidance. Second half of verse six through verse 11 goes on to say, Father, or David, fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. 
Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Okay, if you ever have to read names, remember what I said. Read fast and be confident and no one will question you, right? <laughs> Jesus is God's guidance. While King David was great, and King David was great, and while Solomon did many great things for the nation of Israel, that nation of Israel very quickly squandered God's blessings on their own selfish idolatry. Let me say that again. Israel very quickly squandered God's blessings on their own selfish idolatry. Does that sound familiar to us today? Now I know we're going to be tempted to go, yeah, that sounds like that, that world out there. You're right. It does. It also sounds like me. It also sounds a lot like you. How often you would say, yes, God has, God has blessed me. God has given me so much, but I want more or I want something else or I want something different. And if I don't get what I want right now from God, I'm gonna go take it. Oof. Like Israel, we squander God's blessings on our own selfish idolatry. For the Israelites, as a result of their squandering God's blessings on their own selfish idolatry, they become divided and they suffer numerous defeats. They have brief periods of repentance and restoration, but they always return to their idolatry and are always defeated. Jesus' family line runs through a list of the leaders of, of Judah, through the kings of Judah. And some of these kings were, were faithful men. Jehoshaphat and Josiah are, are known to be faithful. Some were just straight up wicked. Abijah, Joram, Ahaz, these were bad dudes. Still others were more complicated. Uzziah started off well, but he fell to pride. Hezekiah was devoted to the Lord, but was overwhelmed with fear of the Babylonian empire. But while God had given his law to his people, they showed time and time and time and time and time and time again that they couldn't keep it. They were drawn to their own selfish idolatry and couldn't keep the law. But in Jesus, the Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, in Jesus, the law was, was freshly and rightly illuminated and fulfilled before Israel's very eyes. If I ask you this question, don't answer it out loud because you might know it and the person next to you might not. What comes in the middle of April, in the middle of March, but never at the beginning or end? Just smile at me if you got it. The answer is the letter R. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but 
Here's the thing. How many, because I missed this when I, when I read it. Right? How many of us started thinking of some event that was going, don't raise your hand, you don't have to, unless you really want to, I'll go for it. <laughs> right, we, we start thinking, well, what event, what day, what holiday, what, what are these things? But if I had said, what comes in the middle of April and March, but never at the beginning or end, and think about the letters, now, if you hadn't gotten it before, do you think you would have gotten it if I said, now think about the letters? Yeah. Why? Because you're looking for the right thing. You're looking for the right thing. The answer is obvious if we have the right perspective. It's not a trick. We just need to look for the right thing. In Jesus, not only is our salvation provided for, but our daily life in the kingdom is clearly marked if, if we will trust him as Lord, Savior, Messiah. In Deuteronomy, again, Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, starting in verse 11, Moses writes, this command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond reach. And what is he commanding that's not too difficult or beyond reach? For the Israelites, follow the Lord. Obey God's commands. He says, this isn't too hard for you. Now, hold on a second, because I got a bone to pick with Moses in this, right? Because there are lots of times where I'm like, no, that seems way too hard. Maybe it's just me. You guys don't struggle. Hey, this is where I struggle, (laughs) Sometimes I feel like that call is too hard. He says, no, no, no. This is not too hard. This is not too difficult. In verse 15, he goes on. He says, see today I've set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, statutes and ordinances so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. That sounds pretty good, right? All I have to do is obey the Lord, follow him. And he says, that is not too difficult for you. Now listen, we are all broken and flawed people. And there's not a single one of us in this room who does not sin. Amen? Amen. But God says, no, 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 you follow me. See, biblical faith is, it's not easy but it's really simple. Biblical faith is not easy, but it's really simple. We like to complicate it. (laughs) But it's really simple. Love God, love others, follow Christ, obey his commands. Done. How complex is that? It's not. It's hard, but it's simple. Whatever the question is, is in your life right now. Understand that God has given you all the guidance that you need. Second Peter chapter one, verse three, in his divine power, he's given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. And what is that? Love God, love others, follow Christ, obey his commands. And I don't know what the the question is in your life right now. Should I go for a new job? Should I apply to that college? Should I get married? 
Should I take this investment opportunity? Should I reach out to that person? Should I get uncomfortable and serve this neighbor? Whatever the question is, God's given you everything you need to answer it. Wisdom in Christ, the guidance that God gives you through your surrender and sacrifice to Jesus Christ may not give you as simple an answer as you'd like. And I'm not gonna go through the Bible and go, oh yeah, well, God says I should go to this school. God says I should go take that job. But he gives us this grid to walk through. If we are surrendered and sacrificed to Christ, it's simply a question of do we love God? Are we loving others? Are we following Christ? Are we obeying his commands? Listen, with that, virtually every question in our lives becomes so much easier to answer. It's not complex. It's hard, but it's simple. The challenge before you and me today is not one of how do I find the answers I need? The real question that most of us are gonna run into is will I listen to the guidance provided through surrender to Jesus? Because that's a guidance that, let's be honest, sometimes we don't like. Sometimes we wish was different. Sometimes we want to actively try to change. But it's just a matter of will I listen to the guidance provided through surrender to Jesus Christ? Jesus brings us God's provision and God's guidance. In the final set of generations that we see here, Matthew shows us that Jesus is also God's deliverance. Jesus is God's deliverance, verses 12 through 17. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiad, Abiad fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eliad, Eliad fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Matan, Matan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations." Jesus is God's deliverance. Real quick, before we get into um, verses 12 through 16, this idea of the three sets of 14 generations, these are, like we said, a summary of Jesus' family. It doesn't give us every step in the line, but it points out the significant significant places that draw the line for Jesus. So, Jesus is God's deliverance. As Israel and Judah were defeated and carried off. I think this is because of this, this exile. A new period of enslavement begins. And we see this <clears throat> when we read books like Ezra and, and Nehemiah. And we see some of what these, this slavery looks like. Um, this new period of, of, of enslavement begins. And the Israelites are once again looking for a savior, looking for a deliverer which makes sense, right? If you are enslaved, if you are beating down, if you are beaten down, you are looking for God to bring help. They're looking for God to send someone who would raise them up and restore them to their former glory. 
of the names that, that we get in this final set of generations, um, the, the, the one that stands out is Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a, a, a Persian-appointed governor of Jerusalem. To the Israelites, Zerubbabel had been a messianic figure. If you're here with us two weeks ago on, on Christmas Eve morning, we talked about how the Jewish people looking for a Messiah aren't necessarily looking for a divine being, in fact, um, Jewish scholars believe every generation that is ever born has someone who could be the messianic figure if God decides that's the time for the Messiah to come. So they have several messianic figures that come up throughout the history of Israel. Zerubbabel was one of them. In, in Zechariah chapter four, verse four through seven and I want you to listen to this and then I'll explain because without getting into this whole chapter and pulling it apart, it can, it can be kind of confusing. But verses four through seven of Zechariah chapter four says, then I asked the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? Don't you know what they are? Replied the angel who was speaking to me. I said, no, my Lord. So he answered me. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit says the Lord of armies. What are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain and he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. Okay, let's just real quick. Uh, in, in Zechariah, he sees this vision and there's these lampstands and palm trees. And he's like, I don't understand what's going on. And God says, well, this is God's word to Zerubbabel. God says, I will deliver you through this person, right? He was gonna bring a victory to Israel through Zerubbabel, not by Zerubbabel's might or wisdom or strength or anything like that, but by God's spirit working in him and through him. See, Zerubbabel, even as a messianic figure, couldn't save Israel. He couldn't save the people because he was just a broken, fallen human. But this section culminates in the birth of Jesus, who is called the Messiah, who is not a messianic figure that points to something greater. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. God had delivered his people from foreign powers time and time again through the history of Israel. But now in Jesus, he would bring the ultimate and complete deliverance from the power of sin. See, the purpose of Matthew's gospel is to reveal exactly what he said in the first verse of this account. That this Jesus is not a Messiah, he is the Messiah. He is the one who will save you, who can deliver you, who can defeat sin and death once and for all. And he's gonna come back to this time and time and time and time and time again in our study through this book that Jesus is God's promised Messiah. And once again, that deliverance may not bring financial prosperity or political power or wholesale social reforms. Not that any of those are necessarily bad things, but they can't offer deliverance. But then there's... Jesus, Jesus 
who paid for our sins, who purchased our lives, who delivers us to hope and joy and peace and purpose in the most amazing way possible. Through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, through his victorious resurrection, through his complete deliverance. That is the only means of deliverance. I don't care what you think you want in this life. I don't think, I don't care what you think you need. What's gonna make you happy? What's gonna fulfill you? What's gonna finally be enough for you? It doesn't matter because it won't. Listen, I hope you get everything you want in life. I really do. But you won't. The question is, do we have what we need? Through sacrifice and surrender to Jesus Christ, we receive everything we need. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we've done enough for it, but because God's love, grace, and mercy are so fantastically incredible. So where's your deliverance coming from this morning? Where's your hope rest? If you started a New Testament reading plan this week as part of your New Year's goals, you may have started right where we start today. You may have started in this first chapter of Matthew. And if you did, you started your reading plan with a list of a bunch of names, some of which were familiar to you, some of those names you know, some you struggled to even pronounce, let alone place within their historical context. But we realize that while a section of scripture like this, this list of names may feel to us a little bit boring, monotonous, or just plain confusing, for Matthew's purposes, tracing Jesus' family line through the proper channels to prove his identity and his purpose as Messiah, as the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for, it's absolutely crucial to the rest of this gospel account. For us today, this list of names serves in part as evidence to the fact that Jesus is everything we need. He is God's provision. He is God's guidance. And he is the one who delivers us, who redeems us, who frees us, who saves us from ourselves and from the broken world in which we live. Church family, when we think about the gospel story, may our eyes be open wide to the fullness of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And in doing so, let our hearts be overwhelmed by his love and authority so that we might be renewed in our affections towards him, in our obedience to him, and in our gratitude for him. And as a result, may every thought of our mind, every word of our lips, and every act of our hands not only be an act of worship, but may they point others to the majesty, the peace, the hope, and the joy of our reigning and ruling King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, but in spite of the fact that we are completely and wholly undeserving of your grace and your mercy, 
you saw fit to send your son. Not just to come here and tell us all how wrong we are and how terrible we are and how much we need to get in line, which would have been perfectly reasonable for you. But we thank you that instead you sent your son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham, to be everything we need to guide us in every step of our life in your kingdom and to know the joy and the freedom of complete deliverance in your goodness, in your faithfulness. God, you are so good and we are so grateful. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.